0: Hi guys, yeah, McGee and the fangirl, and welcome to the next entry of the There I Read It book club. If you didn't join in last time, this is more a discussion of the entire book for those people who don't want to comb over it chapter by chapter with me. So I'm just going to throw out some different questions and discussion topics, and you guys can chime in at your leisure. Please 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 be respectful though, no spoilers beyond book two, because there are quite a few people who are reading along with me for the first time in their lives too just because you know what happens in book six doesn't mean you should be posting spoilers to ruin it for other people who aren't there yet. So kindly keep your comments relevant to the first two books only. Okay, issue number one that I have, why is no one else bothered by how human-like the Mandrakes are? I mean, I'm up at two in the morning staring at my ceiling going, man, it's really disturbing how the Mandrakes grow up, try to move in with each other, so they have a very high level of sentience, and then they get nonchalant shredded up to put in an anti-petrification potion. I've heard a lot of people say that, oh well, they're just trimming off the leaves so it's like a haircut, but that is not at all what the book says. The book is flat out describing murder. Number two, isn't polyjuice potion basically transfiguration? If so, couldn't Hermione have found a spell to change them into other people that would have been a lot simpler and less time consuming than her toilet wine potion. Issue three is Kari, which is the name that I gave to the Ford Anglia, is is he sentient now? I thought that the car was just enchanted to fly and be bigger on the inside like a TARDIS, but then it seemed to develop a mind of its own. So I feel like I missed a paragraph that explained this transition. Is it common for charmed items to get a mind of their own? It's very bizarre. And again, I don't necessarily want an answer to any of these and certainly not for somebody to go, well in book 5 such and such happens and that proves this, this, and this but you know, if you want to go like, yes that is common and you'll find out more in book 5, that's fine. Just don't be dropping any dirty spoiler bombs. Number 4, other than plot convenience, was there any kind of reason why Ron couldn't make up an excuse to get a new wand? I get that right when the incident happened, he didn't want to speak up and tell his mom how his wand got broken, but between September and May he couldn't find one single excuse as to why he needed a new one. How did Ron even get through his classes without a functional wand? It's a very good thing that the exams got canceled otherwise he would have been screwed. Issue 5. I found it really weird that there are so many times in this book where money issues pop up and here we have rich old Harry refusing to help at all. He even goes out of his way to hide his level of wealth from the Weasleys when I never got the impression that they wanted to take anything from him but the weasleys had been so good to harry i was almost offended that he didn't even offer to buy ron a brand new wand when you know harry was accidentally the reason that ron's wand got broken to begin with just saying here but the platform to nine and three quarters didn't get sealed up to keep ron weasley out of hogwarts but even that issue aside, I mean, Ron is his best friend, and he is painfully aware at how broke the Weasleys are, so why wouldn't he offer to help? Even if Harry couldn't leave the school himself, I'm sure Hagrid would have run the errand for him, I mean, Hagrid got into the Hogwarts vault with a letter, I'm sure something similar could have happened with Harry. And. I understand that the Weasleys are probably, you know, they don't want to feel like they're being looked down on. You know, we're trying to take care of you, Harry. We don't want you taking care of us. So I don't think Ron or Molly or Arthur or anybody in the Weasley family would ask for money from Harry, but you'd think that at least to show how good of a character he is, he would make the offer. And I don't think it's because the Weasleys are anti-charity or too prideful to take money kind of thing, because Harry in up giving Jenny all of his Lockhart books, which are repeatedly mentioned as being extremely expensive, and nobody even bats an eye about it. Plus, did uh, Jenny even need those books? She's in a totally different grade than Harry, so I imagine her reading list would be different, right? Issue 6. Harry shows such a lack of empathy towards everyone in this book that it really bugs me. And it's not just the money bit either, I mean, every time there's a character going through something serious. Harry takes a moment to reflect on it and then twists the whole thing around to how he has it so much worse. The only time he doesn't do that is when Ginny gets abducted, and that's probably because he doesn't have anything comparable to steal the limelight for himself. And for a kid that's supposed to be, you know, such a hero, the main protagonist of this book, his internal dialogue is very disappointing to me. You know, I get that he's 12 in this book, but still, I mean, you can feel bad for other people and not have to make it a competition of how you have it the worst of all. Number seven, I really feel like Hermione would have never ripped that page out of the book. It, it doesn't feel In character for her. Does anybody else feel bothered by that? I know in the movie there's a weird moment where Malfoy rips out a page of a book and it's suspected that that's the page Hermione has later, but that is not something that we ever see happen in the book. That's only in the movie. So in the writings, canonically, Hermione damaged that book and I I don't feel like she would have. I feel like she would have grabbed the whole thing and delighted in sorting through the pages. Someone else did mention though that perhaps it was Penelope Clearwater, the girl that got petrified along with Hermione, that got frustrated and just ripped the page out of the book, said, here, take it! But again, that's a big assumption. For what we're told in the book, Hermione rips out that page and she does nothing to correct anybody about it. Problem number eight, At the point where Harry gets sucked into the Tom Riddle diary to see the memory about Hagrid, the diary already knows who Harry is because Jenny had previously told him. So why didn't the diary just make it easy on itself and keep Harry trapped in there forever? Nobody would know. Harry was completely wandless. Problem solved! Wizards and their anti-logic can only account for so much... Number nine, why does it feel like Dumbledore is grooming these kids to do his dirty work all the time? I mean, Dumbledore is an adult, fully trained, very skilled wizard, so he should be able to handle these problems on his own. And Dumbledore always seems to already be aware of what's going on, but then he finds a way to make sure that Ron, Harry, and Hermione are equipped to deal with it. Without spoilers for the rest of the book series, is this some really weird test? Or is it just some poorly written vague excuse to keep the story very children-centric? I mean, obviously, a kid's book, you want it to revolve around kids so that they're more interested and invested in the story, but it seems like we're well beyond the line of when a kid versus an adult should handle something. Number 10. There is mention that Lockhart has to go off and heal and get his memories back, but then what happens? Is Lockhart gonna be just too afraid of Harry to ever mess with him again? It seems like the original issue with Lockhart, where Ron and Harry knew too much about him and could expose all his secrets, was still an issue in play. So Lockhart's gonna try to come after them and erase their memories again, isn't he? Number 11- What happened to Nearly Headless Nick? Unless I just totally missed something, the book ends without describing his fate at all. Obviously, the mandrake potion isn't gonna work on a ghost, and he, last we heard, was just a cloudy black smoke blob that nobody knew what to do with. Is Nick okay? Number 12. Who was Hagrid waiting for with that crossbow? When Ron and Harry come to the door, Hagrid certainly wasn't expecting to use the crossbow on them, and the next knock on the door is Dumbledore and Cornelius Fudge which again Hagrid is very shocked to see at his house and even when Lucius Malfoy shows up Hagrid's like what are you doing in my house get out of my house so that wasn't who Hagrid was expecting to see so who was it that Hagrid was so worried about that he was nervous and antsy and holding a crossbow number 13 is Professor Benz a liar when Hermione questions Benz about the Chamber of Secrets he is very adamant that it's just some myth or some rumor. It's not real. Yet, if the Chamber of Secrets had been opened 50 years prior, then Bins should have been there and very aware of that event. So was he lying to his students to try and keep them from searching for the Chamber of Secrets? Or was he such a lowly faculty member that they didn't make him privy to the cover-up? Considering that ghosts don't really have boundaries and they can go through walls and everything else, it, it just seems really flimsy that Ben's of all people would be like, heck no, that chamber could never be real. It's completely made up, blah, blah, blah. It, it just doesn't fit right. There's a problem there. Number 14, who sent Harry the singing Valentine? Draco Malfoy accuses Jenny, but... I feel like she is way too timid to do something that bold. Still, the book ends without that question being answered, so was it Malfoy trying to make fun of Harry? Was it actually Ginny? Was it Lockhart trying to embarrass Harry? I mean, what? Who? Why? Surely the person who sent it didn't think that song that they made up about Harry was any good. So it had to be a mean prank, right? And finally, number 15, let's discuss the Dursleys again. I am honestly not sure what to to expect from them at this point. I was definitely on their side in the first book and for part of the second book, because I can definitely see where this magical boy who's in these pubescent hormones and unpredictable with his magic might be somebody that you want to hide from a client. And even all the chores that Petunia gives Harry to do, they really aren't all that crazy. It takes, you know, the morning. It's not like he was working for a month. You know, it was only a few hours worth of work, and and most of us who grew up in the 80s or 90s were very accustomed to having to do that every few weeks, at a minimum. Sometimes you had to clean up way more than that. But once Vernon barred Harry's windows and kept him locked up in his room pretty much 24-7, I mean, that definitely crossed the line into child abuse. And I will note that that action was, like most of the other things the Dursleys do, more of a reaction. But there has to be a point where if you are that upset and unhappy with a child then you need to have somebody come and get them. Like, you don't just go and decide, I'm gonna do harm to this child physically, mentally, emotionally, and, you know, get to this point where it's not at all justifiable. It's just because you're angry. If you're hurting somebody to make yourself feel better, you're doing the wrong thing. And that lockdown is the first time where they are sincerely almost starving Harry to death. So yeah, being basically willing to let a child maybe die just because you're mad at them? Way over the line. But I also wonder if they ever realized that the Weasley family were an option to them. I mean, it had to be so stressful for the Dursleys to live with Harry, and he was threatening to use magic on them all summer, which just compacted their fear of him. So I kind of think that if Harry said, hey, I have a friend who's willing to let me stay with him all summer, Vernon would have let Hedwig get loose to send a letter and, you know, have people come take Harry away, get him off our plate. So I think that Harry had to have kept Ron and his family a complete secret, almost sadistically, so that Harry could keep threatening the Dursleys that, oh, I'm gonna magic you if you don't do what I (laughs) And then Harry probably thought that once he got bored with that, he would just go to Ron's when he was ready. And I know Dobby played a big part in preventing Harry going to Ron's for the summer, but Harry didn't really know about the Dobby issue right away. So it's really strange to me that Harry never offered up, hey, I could go somewhere else if you guys want, because I feel like the Dursleys would definitely have taken Harry up on his offer to leave. Likewise, it's really strange to me that Harry doesn't go back home with Ron at the end of book two. I mean, when you have to go to the lengths of ripping a window out to escape a house, why would you ever think you're going to set foot back in there again? But as I've heard, there will be an explanation and a reason for this eventually, so please don't spoil it if you're going to comment. But I would like to take a few minutes to talk about Petunia Dursley in particular. She's always struck me like she has this kind of PTSD over magic, and she's almost at the point of pretending she can't even see Harry. Seriously. if she doesn't absolutely have to speak to Harry, she does not. And most of the time when Harry's around her, she just stares at him horrified. Petunia's emotional trauma is real. It's not a joke, and it's not her just being mean for the sake of meanness. That behavior is how Petunia is coping with a magical child being around her that she's scared of. And I almost wonder about Vernon too. I mean, he is so much like my father-in-law, who If there is something snarky to say, gosh darn it, he has got to say it. Not to make this discussion all about me, but I had just delivered a baby, and ten minutes later, he walks into my hospital room and goes, GOSH, YOU LOOK TERRIBLE! So yeah, in that regard, I kind of feel like I understand Vernon as this person who never misses the opportunity to throw out a snide remark, but I also wonder if Vernon is acting really harsh towards Harry in defense of his wife. Vernon sees that Harry upsets Petunia, so he's bullying Harry, at least in Vernon's mind, for the sake of protecting his wife and showing her that he's on her side. Kind of like a twisted, I got your back behavior almost like an animalistic instinct. You know, you, Petunia, are my tribe. You're my people. Harry is not part of our tribe. He's not one of our people, and he upsets you, so I don't like him. And Dudley, I think, is kind of in the middle between adopting his father's attitude on how he treats the world and his mother's PTSD on magic. Don't forget, Dudley wound up getting stuck with a permanent pigtail because Vernon upset Hagrid, and I believe the book said that that tail is still on him. If not, then Dudley had to get that tail surgically removed, and a surgery in and of itself can be very traumatic. So, whether Dudley still has the pigtail or not, it's still an extreme amount of trauma for a middle schooler to go through. And I also have some doubts as to whether or not the Dursleys actually showed up at the train station to get Harry at the end of book two, but I mean, I'm still pretty confident that book three is going to start with Harry at the Dursley household, so I, I don't. think he's in danger of being abandoned. Even though I really question why not? Why wouldn't they just leave him at the train station or have CPS get him or send him off to stay with the Weasleys or whatever? I mean why not? Why wouldn't they? Why would they come get Harry? Anyways, those are the issues that stuck out most to me, again for like the fifth time. Please no spoilers beyond book two. And with that, I want to thank you for watching. Remind you to subscribe, share, comment, do whatever you feel like. It is all greatly appreciated. And family members, we will see you next time! Well, family members, we're almost done, but I want to invite you to hang out with me in some other places. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as my own personal self, and I have a Facebook page too, but I mostly just post photos over there. And sometimes people say, hey, Megan, I want to mail you something. How do I do that? Easy. Just click the About tab on my channel page, and my most current P.O. Box info will be right there. I also run another channel, The Family. It's really a hodgepodge channel where we might post anything. Oh yeah, and I also sell shirts and stickers and stuff with the family and the Fangirl logos. If that is your cup of tea, I have a link in every description of every video. Finally, if you want to help out the Fangirl channel and make sure I'm putting out video essays for years to come, the best way you can help is by subscribing and watching more of my videos, whether they're new, old, whatever. Maybe even share one or two on social media, help spread the word. People who watch to the end of videos like you helps to tell the site, hey, this is a good video. We should recommend it to other people. So if you made it this far, leave me a comment of something like, hey, I made it to the end. Love ya. See you next time, family members. Bye.